0: Welcome back to AUENV Dirt on Soils podcast. This is episode number 11, and we are talking land reclamation and the important role that soils play in this undertaking. Most of this episode will be a conversation with our first guest of the podcast, Professor Anne McIntosh from biology here at Augustana. But first, let's hear from our friends for one last time, red hot chili peppers. <laughs> Given today's federal government announcement of $1.5 billion for orphan and inactive well cleanup, this podcast is extremely timely. When we talk about orphan well cleanup, what we mean is reclamation an attempt to return land that has been disturbed, generally by industrial activity, to a useful state. This applies to mines, oil sands projects, and the aforementioned oil wells that are located in Alberta, but also pipeline and road construction, as well as urban brownfield development. The slides for this topic provide a general overview of land reclamation, with a focus on the importance of soils as the basis of these ecosystems. How do we return to a healthy soil? There are actually a number of locations that we may visit that used to be something very different in the past. In Camrose, one example is parts of Jubilee Park Trail System around Stony Creek, which used to be a landfill for early residents of the city. So reclamation can work, but it needs to, needs to be done properly. If it has been done properly, it is the purview of the Alberta Energy Regulator, or AER, who are responsible for certifying lands that have been reclaimed. There is currently an exceptional amount of research being conducted on reclamation, especially around oil sands developments in northern Alberta. That research is really needed, as prior to 2008, not a single hectare of the area had been certified as reclaimed. That has changed recently, but there are still exceptional hurdles that need to be passed in order to reclaim areas that include wetlands as well as upland forests. So a major issue currently is the large number of well pads in the province and our capacity to reclaim them. Dr. Ann McIntosh is a professor of biology here at Augustana and she is investigating uh, the reclamation of well sites in Alberta as part of a joint project with several provincial partners. The goal of this project was to assess if reclamation had been successful in the medium term timelines and a key component of capacity. Is returning to these locations after they've been reclaimed and certified, and we'll get into what those things mean when we talk with her. Um, and her research is focused on vegetation and soil assessment. So I thought she was a great guest, um, and so let's chat a bit with Anne. Hi, Anne. How are you doing today?
1: Hi. Good. All's well in pandemic world here. So thanks for having me on your podcast. Yes. <laughs> so
0: Anne. Often, I want to start with defining some terms here, because we heard the terms reclamation and restoration used almost interchangeably. And I just wanted to ask, is there a difference between those terms?
1: Yes, yes, and yes, again. And I'll say that it's really common for practitioners themselves to confuse these terms, but they are, in fact, very distinct. So you should not use them interchangeably. So the reason for this is that restoration strictly means you're wanting to restore what was there before. Whereas reclamation actually lacks this requirement. You want to reclaim something. Um, In my context, what you'll hear me talking about is from the lens of reclaiming well pads that aren't producing anymore and that were plugged and abandoned. And then the next step is reclamation. So the goal here is that you want to get back to an equivalent function, but it doesn't have to be the same thing as what was before. It should just be equitable. So in Alberta, the term used for reclamation is equivalent land capability. So when we reclaim land in Alberta, we reconvert the disturbed land to its former or other productive uses. So you can see an example of this with historical reclamation practices in Alberta's forests. The criteria that were in place until recently, most updated in 2010 and 2013, reclaimed the land, but actually with more so the green is good model. So they used agronomic seed maps. Seed mixes, often non-native, without a requirement for replanting of trees and shrubs. So you can imagine now we have a patchwork of grasslands in our forested lands rather than a patchwork of mixed-aged forests. Restoration, uh, on the other hand, would have been focused on returning us to that mixed ages of forests with a requirement to actually plant trees rather than just having a green as good model.
0: Oh, interesting. So reclamation then in general would be less stringent than restoration.
1: Exactly. There's more flexibility and end point of reclamation and how you define it as being successful. So restoration is all about, you know, if there was a hundred year old forest before you um, extracted the harvest and leveled the well pad to construct it, um, then a hundred years from uh, reclamation, your goal would be, um, could be something else, maybe even a different kind of forest type. Whereas with restoration, it would be, I want to have a hundred years out. I want to have that exact same kind of forest that was there before.
0: Okay, Um, and so can you, given that we're in a soils class, um, can you explain a little bit about what the role of soil would be in that reclamation process?
1: Right, so reclamation, right, is a series of steps that um, happen after a well has been plugged and abandoned, right, so structures have been removed, any decontamination of the soils has been addressed through remediation. Um, And the soils comes into play in terms of the land surface reconstruction, right, you need you want to have the contour As we know, well pads are very, they have to be very flat. You don't want your equipment, you know, your rig tipping over. So they're very flat. But what you want to do is return the natural topography to what it was before or equivalent. Uh, You know, it's not going to be exactly the same shapes and contours, but something that is representative of of what was there before. So the soils at that level are really important, obviously, because they're what sets the foundation. And then also the site. The soil is literally the foundation for the site in terms of what you expect to grow on it later, and so you want to have the same kind of soil properties the chemical, biological and physical properties um, that were there prior to the well pad as well and so that you can have what you had before or some other equivalent land features.
0: Maybe you can actually now take a moment just to briefly explain the project you're working on and kind of the role that you're filling as a scientist in terms of making these comparisons and and thinking about how do you assess successful reclamation.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, as you mentioned, uh, you talked just briefly and during the introduction about this project that I'm involved on. Uh, And so I'm the lead ecologist for what we call the ERM project or the Ecological Recovery Monitoring Project. And so this project is very much focused on ecological recovery of sites that have received a reclamation certificate. And in particular, we started out focused on well pads, but with the goal that we could down the road look at other things such as um, uh, linear disturbances like pipelines. But uh, we've just focused on the, the one hectare well pad footprints at this point in time. Um, And so with that, we're interested in looking at the various properties with the premise that when we talk about wanting to get these well pads back to equivalent land capability, we thought it was more uh, easy ecologically from an ecological perspective, rather than a government ease of what the heck is ELC or equivalent land capability to talk about recovery of the soil properties or the vegetation properties. And the real challenge is that these sites get a reclamation certificate, but nobody historically has ever gone back to see if they're actually on that trajectory. Because the intent is that, well, we can't wait for a hundred year old forest to actually grow because everybody will be dead by then. Uh, But what we can hope for is that it's on a trajectory towards that. And so what we have to do there is, um, suppose that based on looking at this suite of properties on the well pad and adjacent and so the um, an important element of that is looking at the soil properties and seeing how they differ so this is a really important missing piece right now because nobody has ever gone back to really evaluate whether the criteria um, and these certifica- certifications of these well pads are actually working and doing what we hope they're, they were doing.
0: Maybe you can talk a little bit about um, what is the process by which these sites are certified as reclaimed? Because you're only studying basically sites that have been certified reclaimed, and going back and looking to see, you know, in a certain time frame after this, are they still following the trajectory that would certify them? What is that process by which, like, the province would um, say, okay, this this well site is reclaimed, or this site is not reclaimed?
1: Right, yes. So when it comes to reclamation, as you said, the pro- my project is life after certification, but from the construction point of view and from the operator's point of view, they come up with a plan right from the get-go on how they're going to get to that end goal of after production after plug uh, each well pads plugged and abandoned how it's actually going to be reclaimed so they have to meet a set of regulations that have changed over time in fact prior to 1963 uh, you'll see when you look at well pads that some are exempt and so uh, sites that were um, constructed prior to that date there weren't any kind of regulations in place towards conservation and reclamation criteria and that's over time, thankfully, and I would think safe to say has evolved. For instance, with forested lands, you now have to have trees growing on them rather than saying green is good and agronomic seed mixes are okay. But what it um, specifically uh, looks at is that operators have to meet uh, a set of requirements related to three different aspects. So that's landscape, soils, which of course is the the big player in in your class, um, and vegetation so you can download the criteria and they're like 100 pages long for each of uh, forested lands grasslands and cultivated lands to get the nitty-gritty but essentially at the landscape scale they're considering things like drainage surface water flow whether there's riparian areas and those are controlled for is there erosion is there soil stability right is there slumping if there's mass movement of soils or major barrier areas that's going to be some major problem and so they're not going to meet the requirements to apply for a reclamation certificate. Uh, Soils, the the part that you're probably most interested in for your students is things like looking at compaction which you can imagine with all the big heavy um, operating equipment that goes on those well pads can be a big important player Um, and the leveling of them to create um, a level level structure um, suitable for the, the structures that go up on there. So you have to consider things like topsoil death, the structure, the texture, right? Um, are there any soil rooting restrictions? So, you know, maybe you have a thick clay, clay layer. You want to make sure that you're not um, having heavily, um, uh, a lot of salts that have fallen on the site that are going to impact your soil salinity and in turn your cation exchange capacity, electrical conductivity, all those kind of things. And then vegetation parameters um, that have to do with the species composition and the amount of cover and canopy cover on the sites in the case of a forested. Essentially, an operator has to make sure that they're comparing the, a bunch of sampling points on the well pad with adjacent reference conditions and seeing how different they are and whether they Uh, fall within the guidelines and then they apply for a certificate. Um, And that is, I should note, uh, primarily a desk process. So there's not a lot of um, audits necessarily that go on. So this is an application that's submitted. And most of the time nowadays, there isn't uh, somebody that goes actually out to the site to confirm that everything is accurate and true.
0: So what are the most important soil characteristics that we should be concerned with um, in terms of soil health following disturbance. So things that would be impacted by a well site disturbance and then what we're trying to return.
1: Right. Well, you you know, as you know, soils are complicated um, and... Well pad disturbance messes up a lot of those soil properties, right? Um, And so the question can be what are the best things to measure. Um, And that was actually something that we got together a big group of advisory group members with our ERM project to identify which um, suite of parameters we thought would be worthwhile to measure. So those the things that we're measuring are things like Uh, electrical conductivity, pH, bulk density, total organic carbon, total nitrogen. Um, Some of these are parameters that directly align with what are measured at the time of the certification process, like pH and bulk density, I believe. Um, And then others are measures that we also think are important to to look at over the longer term Um, so we looked at those uh, across multiple depths the challenge being that on a well pad as you can imagine with all the ad mixing that can potentially happen is that there aren't your typical um, horizons right there isn't going to be a nicely established lfh and then an a and then an e um, and so on so so that's challenging so we have set depths that we sampled so We had soil cores to measure our our zero to 15 centimeters, 15 to 30 centimeters, and then sampled 30 to 60 centimeters and 60 to 100 centimeters for everything besides bulk density.
0: So with these, I've never laid out a well pad before, um, but I'm assuming that they're bringing a lot of material in, compacting things. Like you said, it wants to be flat. You want it to be kind of consistent. what are the major methods they use to restore soil health after this disturbance? So are they bringing in more topsoil? Are they saving topsoil that was scraped off somewhere and bringing it back? What's the kind of the process there?
1: Yeah, so, so this definitely starts, um, I know uh, one of my collaborators, Arnold Jens, always starts with emphasis that this isn't about reclamation criteria solely, but about conservation and reclamation criteria. So what you want to do and prioritize is conservation of what's there to begin with. And so that's where the, the planning begins, is at that conservation phase. So conservation of topsoil is really important. Um, and in particular, we want to try to reduce the mixing of the different soil layers, right? It's the different horizons when they still exist before hand. So the stripping can be like a two-stage stripping to make sure if you have a well-established organic layer like you'd have in the forested um, sites that you take that off and you store that separately, right? Um, And then you take the next layer and you store it separately. So then afterwards, um, you put it back in that same order. Um, and another thing that happens is what we talk about, and is a lot more common now than was historically, is progressive reclamation. So there's a lot of disturbance at the actual time of installation of the of the well, right? Where it's tons of equipment, and you really need that full 100 meter by 100 meter hectare footprint. But then they talk about this teardrop area that is left. That's you know you're going to have to have uh, equipment and coming in and maintenance on that pump jack, but um, after, but there's the whole rest of it that you can do progressive reclamation. So sooner, once you've got that well in and operating, you can go ahead and get that part um, reclaimed. So you've got, you take that topsoil and you put it back right away while the propagules to, are still present. Um, afterwards, so you can do things like to deal with compaction. You can do things like deep ripping of the soil through plowing. Um, to try to decrease the bulk density. That in turn increases aeration, improves the ability for plants to root rather than being restricted by some you know, thick clay layer, say. So, uh, so there's those kinds of things that they try to uh, try to do.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, and I guess I should ask the question or lay out this in piece of information, but this is an important project because we have um, kind of what's more than 600,000 well sites as of 2018 in Alberta?
1: Exactly. Yes, that's, that's a lot.
0: <laughs> and uh, a number of those, I mean, maybe students have read this in the newspaper or heard this in the news that um, a number of those are what we would call orphan wells um, and some are kind of abandoned. And maybe you could just clarify for us what the difference is in those different statuses.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah. So we have. I should clarify. So we have, as I mentioned prior to, I believe it's 1963. We didn't have any rec- regulations or criteria in place. So those are actually exempt. So when you look at um, the over 100,000 wells that we have that are abandoned and and certified and exempt, um, that includes ones that are exempt from regulations and those that have received a reclamation certificate in contrast a site uh, well pad that is abandoned even though it sounds like it's like you know they've checked out and taken off and run for the hills abandoned simply means that it's been decommissioned so it's no longer in use it's no longer producing or maybe it was a dry well and never produced but it's been plugged right uh, there's been cement poured down it um it's been topped uh one to two meters below the ground um it's still been marked so that people know where it is and can find it down the road and you can go check out the abandoned well site map on the Alberta Energy Regulators website, which is an arm's length organization of the Alberta government. So um, that's abandoned. And orphan wells are ones that were operated and then the company became insolvent. And chances are those wells, it was cheaper for them to pay the annual license fee on And so they, uh, because they are likely contaminated. So they will need remediation, that will cost millions of dollars. And so in turn, the company uh, could not afford that uh, remediation costs. And so in turn, those are orphan wells. So abandoned, there's lots of those out there, but in Alberta right now, I believe we have just over 3,400 orphan wells. So basically those are wells without an owner. And the challenging part for that is for the private landowners that leased out their um, sites, to these, uh, to these operators um, and to these oil and gas companies, and now they're left with uh, a well in whatever fashion it is.
0: Um, okay, well, let's get into the results that you had from a very recent publication. Um, and it looked at uh, some of the forested sites and looked at their um, trajectories to look at, okay, it's certified that it's gonna be on this trajectory after 100 years, 80 years and you were looking um, at soil properties and vegetation properties. And it seemed to me that bulk density and pH seemed to show up as the primary differences when we considered soil health at these sites. And maybe you can talk to us a little bit more about why those soil characteristics or what other things are you seeing from the soil perspective on differences in your study, like results from your study?
1: okay um yeah so in terms of to me the bulk density is the one that's like always the nice and easy friendly one to explain because the the lasting effects of bulk density make sense given that a well pad has such a major soil disturbance right leveling of that pad especially depending on how different undulating that topography was beforehand it's had a lot of heavy equipment on it so compaction's a no-brainer there so um and in turn if you think about soil health right Bulk density will affect the ability for roots to move through the soil, which in turn will affect the ability of the plants to grow there. Um, Bulk density is directly related to the porosity of the soil, thus the ability for precipitation to move through the soil to these roots. So there's major reasons there that bulk density seems to be important in terms of measuring soil health and in turn, what can grow there. Um, And in terms of pH, that one is a little less clear, right? But at the same time, I think Fairly clear because there's a lot of potential for admixing of the soil horizons, especially historically. Um, What we're not capturing in our sampling is the newest sites. So, you know, there's much more careful, say, you know, double stripping that I talked about earlier. Um, for when that well pad is formed, and then when they put it back. So that mixing of the surface soils and you know the subsurface soils uh, a meter below, you can imagine that that could really uh, mess with the pH. Um, and in some cases too, we have to be leery of our findings of finding significant statistical differences. We don't know the biological significance of that. What does half a pH unit mean? Is that a critical threshold for which we're not going to have certain plant species able to grow there uh, or not? We, we don't know.
0: Even though it's been reclaimed, there's still this difference that exists.
1: Yes, exactly. And all up to in the forested case, right, that was up to 50 years post certification. And like we talked about before, certification doesn't mean that was the time stamp at which reclamation started, right? That's a starting point for our quantification of time but so really it's more than 50 years that uh, we can see those impacts and in turn uh the part that this is a soils class so we're not focused on the vegetation but the vegetation tells that story right and if we know that soil is the foundation for the vegetation and the properties of the soil determine what species can actually grow there it's in turn really shifting the successional trajectories of these sites or in in some cases actually halting or you know Um, arresting the succession and their ability to develop into forests.
0: Reset the system. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Okay, so your slides, uh, the slides I shared with students, showcased the results from the forested sites. But your pilot study also looked at native grasslands and cultivated lands. Um, Were the results different from those landscapes at all?
1: Um, Yeah, I can say that the specific details varied among the land types, but the main take-home messages were definitely the same, right? Arrested or slowed successional trajectories, differences in soil properties between the well pads and the adjacent reference conditions. Um, For example, in the native grasslands that we sampled in southern Alberta near Brooks, we found that all soil indicators had significant differences um, between the well site and the reference for at least one soil depth. Um, Bulk density and electrical conductivity, for instance, were higher on the well sites. Um, And I thought it was really interesting that even in the cultivated lands, when you think about the chronic disturbance that they undergo on on an annual basis, they still actually had higher bulk density compared with, um, with with the reference there. So that to me was really surprising because I thought, how different can it be? Given that that's the whole point of agriculture, right? Is cultivating those lands.
0: Right, and and it, and and still, the well pads had higher bulk densities, so more compacted still than even the adjacent. Oh, wow, interesting. Um, and then, are there any changes in the way that they're looking at reclaiming that land to try to change that that compaction signal a little bit?
1: Yeah, I don't know all the details for in terms of the cultivated lands. uh, There's trying, you know, there's things you can do in terms of when you install well pads, for instance, like if you do them in the winter, uh, that reduces the, the disturbance, the amount of compaction potentially.
0: In the class, we read a paper early in the semester on differences in soils and vegetation that were found in former Roman farms. So this study revealed measurable differences that remained after 1,500 years following a really small scale, probably subsistence farm in France um, along a Roman road. And so there probably would have been very little reclamation after this farm. Basically, it would have just been abandoned. And so 1,500 years later, there's no reclamation going on. But you could still see differences from where this house was, where the strongest parts of cultivation were and where areas further away from this house area were more natural. If a researcher from the year 3570 was to measure some of your sites, do you think that they would still observe differences? Or
1: interesting example. And that's a that's a really good question. Of course I'm not a good future caster. So uh, I'll go out on a bit of a about a bit of a limb and say, I think that uh, quite possibly yes. Um, and I'm coming at that from the land. The example that you're giving is something that's not nearly as dramatic in terms of the types and amounts of soil disturbance. Um, and of course, you know, the climate here is very extreme, which in turn further slows down pedogenic processes that we know are already super slow. Um, and it seems reasonable. We could expect to see differences for sure. Um, but I'd say it also very much depends on what happens in terms of the future, types of vegetation that grow on them, types of future disturbances, how those affect the soil.
0: Uh, Interesting. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, This was kind of an experiment for the class going to remote, but um, I appreciate it. And um, thank you so much.
1: It's been my pleasure. So good luck with the rest of classes and good luck on exams, everybody.
0: Well, that's it. That's all. This is the final episode of the AUENV 233 Dirt on Soils podcast. Uh, definitely a suboptimal way to provide content for this course, but I hope the podcast uh, helped uh, along with the slides in terms of uh, learning a little bit more information about soils. Uh, I'll be in touch about what our final assessments will look like, uh, and I wish you all the best with your summer, and I hope to see you next year. Take care.